0: What you want, I can't give it to you. Your false state is moving
1: my What you want, I can't give it to you. Your
0: false state, your false state. What's everyone welcome to Smart Guy, Dumb Guy? I am your host and Dumb Guy Christian Surge. And always with us is our super smart host, a guy I have actually never seen get angry, author, reverend, almost doctor, Johnny Morrison.
1: That's right. I never get angry. You don't. (laughs) We were talking about this recently, um, that my go-to emotion is not anger, it's uh, sadness. We were talking about this. I feel like this was a conversation we had recently.
0: Uh, We did. Yeah. Don't you just get angry once in a while?
1: I, I... It's funny. It's funny that you're asking me this today because I, I had uh, some experiences this morning that genuinely made me very mad, and I was like, I always, I had just done it, had these experiences. I feel like I've got to be a little bit vague, and then Tori was still sleeping, so I was like pacing around the house trying to like chill out before I. Interacted with my wife in the morning because I was like, "That's not fair to her to just like bring this anger right as she's waking up." So sometimes, sometimes anger is the go-to uh, emotion. It happens every once in a while, um, and sometimes sadness is the go-to. You never, I just never know. That's the exciting thing about being me. You're you get,
0: are human.
1: I'm i I'm a human being. That's right. Um, so yep, I'm Johnny, who sometimes gets angry, sometimes is sad, and uh, for the next twenty three minutes or so. Christian and I are going to have a conversation about current events, culture, politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum.
0: Yeah, welcome uh, to the show. Thanks for joining us. Johnny, last night, um, I like I like to talk, obviously. I've got a podcast. I sometimes talk. People are like, hey, do you speak Christian? And people are like, you have to inter- interpret for Christian. But um, getting ready for bed, laying down, there's some pillow talk happening, uh, not the kind that you would expect. And I... had mentioned to my wife that, uh, you know, Barack Obama had never had showed his real birth certificate and that he actually wasn't born in the United States. And she literally just about kicked me out of the bed. (laughs) I was like, no, no, this he's, you know, it was a fake. They released a birth certificate. It took him like five years. He never released it before the, uh, the election, um, the the Hawaiian governor actually manufactured a birth certificate, and it was proven that it was a fake and it was photoshopped. And then, like three years later, they released another one that he was from Kenya. He's not even from the United States. And I was like, if he can be president, why can't Arnold Schwarzenegger be president? That guy's so damn American. <laughs> He's <laughs> so damn American. Why can't he be president? Like he he came to United States and had experience. Like his his father had experience with like Auschwitz and and like the the night of broken glass. The same thing they're doing in, in in Congress. Anyway, I digress here. But the point is is that I believed literally until last night that Barack Obama had forged his birth certificate.
1: That. Christian, I have to just be as honest with you as I can. That might be the most wild thing you've <laughs> ever told me. And I, you've told me some wild things before. I i honestly feel a little speechless that you, until last night, believed that Barack Obama, the president of the United States of America, was born in Kenya.
0: I i don't know if I have a good excuse, but I have an excuse. I okay. do. And, and it's not just that I was a dumb guy, and that's part of it, but... You know, I used to be Republican, hmm. and I used to be—I would say—right of center. And I was around a lot of people who, uh, you know, watched Fox News, and I—I I read all the news, and I was around people that I believed, that told mm-hmm. me facts, and I believed they told me facts. And as I watched, you know, the television, and I saw the the short form birth certificate come in, um, I was like, "Yeah, somebody just typed that up." But what I didn't think of is. Oh, when you ask for a birth certificate and they typically send you a short form where they type up from the public health records, your birth certificate and send it to you unless you pay a fee. And then they do the whole seal and they sign it and they create a new one from the public records that they have. Mm -hmm. And so I started going through the Wikipedia article uh, because I realized that as I was reading, she she actually goes, you cannot go to sleep or sleep in this bed until you (laughs) Google this shit. I think she even said shit. She's like, you have to Google this uh, and we have to read because I, I can't, like, I just can't. Good I can't, her. I can't be in the same bed with you believing that Barack Obama was not a citizen of the United States. I was like, fine, <laughs> fine. I don't, I don't hate the guy. I liked the guy. I really liked, I didn't, but I didn't vote for him the first time I voted for McCain. Sure. And uh, the second time I, I voted for Bar- uh, Barack Obama, but I was going to vote for Mitt Romney. Mm-hmm until he stopped standing for something. And then Mm. even in his documentary that he released later, there was a point where he admits on the documentary, I stopped standing for my Mm. beliefs and I started uh, uttering the GOP rhetoric Mm -hmm. and that lost my, the election. I said, yeah, it did. I voted for Obama Mm -hmm. um, because of that. But I was sitting there. I thought, all right, I'm going to go and look at this, the barrage of, you know, articles. And I ended up on Wikipedia because they cite their sources. And I think it was really interesting. We started reading down, you know, where he releases the birth certificate. It's short form from Hawaii. And every conspiracy theorist in the world is trying to debunk it. They're trying to uh, uh, bring it to court. They examined it by uh, state officials multiple times. Uh, They claimed that it was Photoshopped. Like all these things I believed in. And so then each time they were asked to prove something, they kept proving it more and they kept proving Mm -hmm. it more. And finally to the end where they were like um, accusing Hawaii of destroying public records. Mm -hmm. And so they finally just said, hey, we are the office of public records. We keep public records. That's what we do. We don't destroy them. We didn't manufacture them. This is how every state does every birth certificate. And they responded. They released a long form. And then even then, uh, some uh, other documents were forged that they've been debunked now. But a lot of people still believe in it. Obviously, I did. That a uh, Kenyan birth certificate came out. They took it to law professors and they took it to all kinds of different peoples, uh, peoples, and th- and they proved that it was fake. But it's still out there. Mm-hmm. And despite the existence of this long form birth certificate, there are still a lot of people who believe that he wasn't born in the United States. This is the thing. I I believed it. And the question I have is, it took me so long to discover the real facts because I believed the people that I thought were telling me the truth. And Mm. I thought that I could believe in. And so I realized, how do I take back the conversation with those who have their own separate hmm. lists of made up facts or how do we break the cycle of believing in lies and how do we have conversations with those who are just deep in it? Like, like it, it took on a, a few hours and then finally threatening to kick me out of bed and not let me sleep there in order for me to stop believing the lies.
1: Hmm. That, <laughs> In a, in a larger sense, so you said a second ago that you had considered yourself a Republican. W- can you track through your own like journey politically? Like, what are some of the moments that change your thinking um, politically? And I think that's an important question because I think it actually might help us get to some of the other questions that you just asked. But like, can you can you map out in like big broad strokes like how Christian goes from right of center to where he is today?
0: Not fully, because in when I was in my 30s, I you know was a rock and roller and all that it contained, so I've forgotten some of that. But I do remember several moments um, where I had people in my life who would just say, bro, we gotta sit down and talk about this f- for real. And you, we can't, if you're in a space where you won't get angry and just hear this point of view, Let me show you or let me ask you some questions. And so they would be like, uh, hey, what about these people? Have you ever considered, like we did a lot of critical thinking, like what about these people who were marginalized or separated from their parents or this uh, neighborhood who historically has been um, uh, oppressed, lied, cheated to, you know, uh, I don't even know the right words, killed, murdered, raped. Um, what programs help them? And can you see how it could help them? Like, is there any way that this welfare program could help someone? Or is there any way that um, abortion could help someone? Is there any way that this uh, tax that you might pay because you can afford it might help someone who is struggling? And do you have any feelings towards that? Do you Mm. look at that other person and go, yeah, go get a job. And, And at some point I did. And somebody had to explain to me, well, let's talk about what does it look like for that guy to go get a job, Mm -hmm. you know? Go talk to him, go go ask him about his life. And so those moments kind of uh, brought me forward. And then those little moments, I started seeing some of the politicians I was following and Mm. I was going, that doesn't make sense. If I was in that position, that doesn't seem like that would help me. And that seems like really angry and unempathetic. So I don't know, maybe I gained a conscience. Uh, Mm.
1: Did that help? No, that's super helpful. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting. Like I've said on this show before, and we'll say it again, that I don't believe for the most part that we think our way into our worldviews or our positions. And there's even some really good neuroscience research and uh, psychological research that's coming out that our positions in the world, like the positions that we take on understanding the world are not just things that we think are rational, but they are things that that feel right to us and that they're actually triggering other parts of our brain besides the mm. rational part of our brain because of the way they feel. So mm. like the position that you take on, like, say, welfare or criminal justice or racial inequality in the United States, it's not simply a rationalized argument. It is a felt experience and a set of perceptions and a set of experiences that then shape how your brain literally, to use your language of a conscience, like it actually shapes the conscience that you have mm. so that your the way you see the world is different, not simply the way that you argue about the world. Do you, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I look back and I go, yeah, there were a lot of things where I would hear them and I go, that feels right. And I would just believe in them. And mm-hmm. it feels dumb, feels stupid to me now. You said something like, the way we think sometimes has a lot to do with the way we feel mm-hmm. less about facts. Am I reading that right? A hundred percent.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. Right. Well, and I think that's like, so your journey is not different than mine. Like I grew up in a conservative home, like a, an amazing conservative home, uh, deeply compassionate people, but very conservative politics. I had those conservative politics myself and like, I can't, it's similar to you. It's like hard to construct the narrative exactly of how that changes, but I can think of moments where, Issues, experiences, um, new ideas begin to change parts of that political ideology. Like for me, when I was in high school, issues of violence, poverty, and race really began to like shake something. But my my conservative politics stayed intact for a while. And so those two things like live together in a way that I don't know make any sense today, right? Like, but they kind of like live together. And then it was slowly... I think because of those other experiences that I had that I began to perceive and mm. feel differently in some ways about my, my political orientation. But people who are conservative and have a conservative conscience feel differently about the intentions, the words, the arguments, the policies of a, of a political commitment. So, you know, it's, that's why I say it's more than just what you think. It's what you feel, what you experience that shape then that conversation, the questions that you started asking, which is how do you break the cycle?
0: And how did, how did you feel your way out of that? What were the events that happened? That's a good question. Um,
1: that's a super good question. I think uh, similar to what you said, you know, like you have these moments with people that change those things. Um, I think that there was things I saw that began to change it. So the thing that began to deconstruct my, this is my Christianity because my christianity cuz i'm growing up in america my christianity is very deeply connected to gop politics like mm. white christian nationalism yeah. it's deeply embedded in evangelicalism so the first thing that really began to shatter that and deconstruct that was the iraq war mm. cuz i'm coming of age i'm like becoming a man during the uh, during like the height of the iraq war and i start seeing the numbers of civilian casualties in iraq and and i could not I could not square that with Christian ethics. And yet it was Christians who were primarily advocating that the war in Iraq was just.
0: Mm.
1: And so that was, that's the moment that I can think of most. It's like, oh, there is something disconcerting here, but it wasn't facts. Like it didn't even get to the point. Like it wasn't like necessarily facts or factual arguments. It was that something in this moment was so disconcerting that it like jolted me out of the ideological prison that I was in for lack of a better word.
0: Well, I, I wish there was a, a formula to jolt the ideological prisons out of people's <laughs> minds that I, you know, the, some of my closest, most loved people, it's, it's really difficult mm-hmm. to have a, a conversation and, and it makes me feel as if one side has empathy and one side doesn't. And and I, I don't, I, I just can't believe that's the case, yeah. but it, it, Sometimes on the face value, it looks that way. And it's, it is, it's really disappointing. It's really hard. You know, our internal family here, we're struggling with that um, in very real ways because of the diverse politics that each of our families have. Mm -hmm. And it's sad. Mm -hmm. So I don't know exactly how to go about it. You know, how do we, how do we stop those? Uh, lies, especially when someone has a completely different set of facts, right? Mm -hmm. Based on what's the algorithm is feeding you. I know that um, there's another article that uh, I read today and I just really want to briefly talk about it, but it's a really scary article. Uh, The headline is Trump ignites a war within the church. And as I'm reading this article, I'm reading things of like pastors in Idaho you know, rebuking the loony left in the name of Jesus, and and using that in their congregations is such an abusive power. Mm-hmm. It feels so horrible to me. And then people just believing them. And then like uh, the article is actually written about uh, a pastor called Jeremiah Johnson, and he writes over the last 72 hours, I've received multiple death threats and thousands upon thousands of emails from Christians saying the nastiest and most vulgar things I've ever heard toward my family and ministry. I've been labeled a coward, sellout, a traitor to the Holy spirit and cussed out at least 500 times because he released an apology Mm -hmm. of his support of Donald Trump. He's like, I made a mistake. I supported Donald Trump. This is wrong. He, this Mm -hmm. is not a godly man. And I shouldn't have used my power, and so now he's getting death threats from his congregation and the and Christian the whole Christian evangelical, and other other uh, conservative pastors are coming out and saying, you know what, Christians, we need to repent. Mm-hmm. Churches need to repent. We need to do something about this. Did you read the article?
1: I did read it. Yeah, yeah, super powerful. I I it was so it was such an interesting article because like that is in so many ways. The culture that I grew up in, I think it was less intense feeling on the outside, you know, because Trump is such a polarizing figure. But it was the same kind of like Christian nationalism that like gods, guns, America, capitalism, like those were the things that were those were all sacraments in some ways. And where one began and the other end was really difficult to um unravel for the for folks. Which is, I think, another part that goes to the the statement that it's less of a rational decision and more of a I mean you could even say it is a religion, which is and religion is not necessarily rational in a lot of ways. Like we believe mm. in a mystery. And we believe in it's imaginative and it's hope filled or whatever. But like it's not necessarily a rational conviction in all the time. And that is the truth of our modern political moment is that Trumpism is of religion so deeply wrapped up with evangelicalism and Christian nationalism that it makes sense. Like when a pastor says those things, it is seen as such a threat, you know, like Mm. it's a, it's a threat to the religion. I've never supported Trump, but like as a pastor on the other side of that, that equation who has been critical of GOP politics, critical of the Iraq war, critical of racial injustice, like I can attest that like, I don't have the public problem platform that person does, but I can attest that people's vitriol is intense around these subjects. I have also been called a coward and cussed out and, you know, attacked Mm. by emails and stuff for those same kinds of things. This is, it's, it's deep in people's like hearts. You know what I mean? So it's like when, when you trigger it, you're not, again, you're not getting a rational response. You're getting that like liminal part of your brain response, that fight or flight or free response. And people are going to fight.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um, it, it is um, crazy that people are willing to be violent over the religion of Trumpism, as you call it. And I don't know why uh, we have that. Some people have taken their own set of facts and just refuse to do some critical thinking on their own. And go, is this what I, as a Christian, should do? I look at when you talk about this uh, this visceral religious. Like when I look at like the statement that the oath. Uh, keepers made and the proud boys made when Facebook and other people took their websites down, it was like, stay the course and uh, be prepared and follow God. And, you know, like, like it was legitimately so tied heavily to Christianity Mm -hmm. that people have have yet to really stop and say, wait a minute, what are we tying to Christianity? What are we putting on top of it that is not Christianity Mm -hmm. and that's going to hurt people?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's totally true.
0: There's a conservative uh, Christian writer, his name's David French. He fought in the Iraqi war, and he says that the uh, way to build a sane GOP, and I'm saying maybe I maybe I modify that, to build a sane, I don't know, right-wing extremist group, make them less insane, is to borrow a page from the counterinsurgency handbook. Separate the insurgents from the population. Hmm. That's an extreme measure.
1: I, I read that. What, what do you think he means by that? Is he what is he implying by that statement
0: load them up, send them somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah. Cause I mean, he's a conservative Christian writer, load them
0: yeah. up, take them somewhere
1: else. Isn't that so funny, dude? Like the way the, here's the, here's one of the problems. This is maybe a bit of a tangent, but like, if you, if you try to build a, a system of thinking on fear and hate and separation even if your hope is for that political system to be good and right, but if you build it with those things, it will then become those things, right? The the way you build determines what you build. Yeah. So if you think that you can just like take a group of people and ship them off and that's gonna solve the problem, like, that's delusional. Like, that's not, how, that's not how anything gets changed in a society. You're just doubling down on the same tactics that got us here in the first place.
0: And didn't we get Australia that way?
1: That's <laughs> true, which, yeah, you know, kind of a win, really.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, it's an impossible, I I think it's an impossible um, thing to do, but um, I have not uh, subscribed or purchased the counter insurgency handbook that David French suggests. And I don't know him very well. No, I don't know him at all. So I just thought it was a very interesting thing. Mm -hmm. Like, Hey, he's, I mean, he's saying we have to remove, we have to do some extreme measures to remove them from society, disallow them to, to congregate. And like, if we want to support a sane uh, country, this is a problem, I think, is maybe what he's trying to say.
1: Which is true. And I think you can't talk about this, like, we. I mean, we have, we've named this already in this. You can't have this conversation and not talk about the responsibility that pastors and evangelical leaders carry. And so I think as pastors and evangelical leaders repent of the, like, commitment to Trump, then I do think they also have to carry weight and responsibility in terms of what is the work of healing look like going forward and they themselves have to be like catalytic in that way. Like they have to do the work and they have to enter into the hostility of their community. Like you, I, I don't want to say you deserve all that hate mail for turning against Trump when you supported them for so long, but like, it kind of makes sense. Like you've been feeding the sharks, mm-hmm. getting them hungry. And when you put your hand in the water, they bit like, I don't, so you, you kind of have to get in the water with them. Like that's your responsibility. And, and I think it's mine too. I don't, I've not curated that in as, as long as, as much as I know of, but I think it's like our responsibility as clergy and leadership to like enter into hostile spaces. And I guess in a, in a way it's like separate the insurgents, but it's like how do you separate the insurgents? You bring them into your home. That's your job, clergy. You got to get real close to them
0: and start to shepherd them somewhere healthy. Well, it's a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> what, is, what is the healing process, Reverend? Yeah. So...
1: I think that um, as a reverend, the person that we have to look to the most is Jesus. And Jesus's life is spent in the midst of hostility and hate. And how does Jesus deal with it? He always moves closer to it. Um, So much so that it kills him. And so I think that especially for Christians, as we look at the situation, like we don't get a bail on the hostile insurgents around us. Like I wasn't joking when I say, bring them into your home. Like I I actually think that's the way that healing is going to happen is that people with a different conviction have to get as close as they can. That's scary. (laughs) Well, I mean, we literally follow a faith whose central figure was murdered. So (laughs) (laughs) and and Jesus tells us to pick up our cross and do the same. So I, I, you know, welcome to the team. I guess that's what we all signed up for
0: if we if we all could actually hear that swallow it and go all right and be brave enough mm. to do that that is the that is the issue mm-hmm. right and for
1: me too i can talk loud but you know does i actually do it is a different issue
0: i mean in america we know nothing of being uh, c- criticized for our religion or persecuted mm-hmm. for our religion we're, we're we're in such a fluffy area with our smoke machines and and well you know, rehearsed bands and mm-hmm. um, well-polished, you know, sermons that mm-hmm. we 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 feel like we have to show up and be be spoon-fed, and if we're not, we want to shop for a new church. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you might sense a little bit of angst in there, and there's a little bit in there. It's 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 not my my idea, but I, I I do agree with you, and it's a really cool perspective to see, like, hey, we follow a man that literally murdered uh, for his beliefs, and who who invited the insurgents in.
1: Yeah. I mean, Jesus, this is the crazy thing. He's literally being murdered by insurgents by like a radically conservative political empire. And on the cross, Jesus is asking for forgiveness for them because they don't know what they do.
0: Well, I think this hate that is out there, if we don't uh, do as you're, you're saying uh, it's, it's going to start to devour us even more.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I, I think we really need to take it seriously. And, and, Uh, Seriously, in a way that's not hateful, but in a way that's love, and uh, it's really hard to love. Some one pastor told me once. He's like, "Hey, when you talk about the fruits of the spirit, and you like love and patience and kindness, right? Like, those are hard things to do, Mm. right? It's hard to love somebody." You, you see the worst parts about them and li- and light love them anyway. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be kind when you're annoyed or angry or feel like you've been cheated. It's hard to have patience. That's what, like patience is really hard to have mm-hmm. when you're, you know, when somebody has been poking at you, it's hard to do that. And I think in this situation, boy, really taking a hard look at that is is going to be better for all of us. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, what, that, what is a great, that's such a great point. Like, using that same like line of thinking, like how does the Bible define love? And Jesus would say that there's no greater love than this, that you would lay down your life for another. Mm. And so you yeah, have to speak to how difficult love is in that, in that imagination, like, Oh yeah, it might
0: cost you everything. Well, the one thing I like about uh, you, well, there's many things, but the one thing is that you always have a good message of hope because there are people like you, there are people like me that want to have conversations that want to critically think through it that want to try the best that want to seek out the the facts that um, want to invite the insurgent into their home and say please listen please put down your weapon put down your confederate flag put down your guns why does that have to be a part of the system mm-hmm. we don't believe it is and let us show you why it's not
1: mm-hmm Oh, man, Chris, that's such a good point. I think it actually even gets back to the first question that you asked, which is how do you help like get people back connected to reality, break people out of ideological jails? And I think what you just said is it. Like It happens because you show people, you know, which is why the artist is so important and the teacher is so important and the way that we live with one another is so important because we show this thing more than we argue it.
0: Well, that ends our episode of Smart Guy, Dumb Guy. Would you leave us a review and share this with a friend? It's really easy. Thank you for listening today. SmartGuyDumbGuy.com. And we'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening.
1: What you want I can give it to you What you want I can't give it to you you want, give it to you. false state.
0: You have been listening to a smart guy and a dumb guy production, a podcast exploring culture, current events, and politics from both sides of the intellectual spectrum. See you next time.